Good morning, West Park. You're the second service. You know, the first service, they give out chicken wings. It's good to be with you. Uh, I know what you're thinking. You know, it's fine that we have this guy standing up, but when are we getting the new guy? That's the question, and I think uh, Dan Bird's going to come and give a little update as to where we are at at the end of the service, and it is my delight to be with you for these next uh, several weeks, I guess, and uh, thank you to the elders for the invitation. I'm looking forward to opening God's Word with you. We're starting a new series. We're going to push the pause button on Mark right now. We're going to start a new series today on the book of Hebrews, and we're going to talk about faith. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have had your faith dinged a bit in the last few years. You know, there's been times through COVID and all of that where, you know, you felt like there's pressure on your faith. And so we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, which is a treatise on biblical faith, on Christian faith. And I hope that through this, your faith will be strengthened and deepened and solidified. Let me start with a little story. On Friday, 100 years ago, so Friday was the 100th anniversary of a very significant event. Now, most of you likely don't know about this event, but this event occurred when a group of 14 Navy warships sailed down the coast of California from north to south in procession. They were the Delphi Squadron, 14 destroyers. People that saw it from the shore said it looked like just power personified. If you've ever been around big Navy ships, they're massive. And they looked unstoppable and so majestic. And they sailed down there. In the front ship, the first ship, was the commander of that fleet, a man named Donald Watson. As they sailed down, the fog kind of rolled in, and they no longer could see by way of visual navigation. And at some point, the lead ship commanded them to turn into the Santa Barbara Channel, turn east, turn left into the channel. And so the ships began to do that. The problem was they weren't at the Santa Barbara Channel. They were well before it by miles. And so one after another, those destroyers turned into the rocks. And within an hour, seven U.S. Navy destroyers were completely demolished. They'd listened to their commander and turned left, but they were in the wrong place. Those seven U.S. Navy destroyers, and all seven of those ships were less than five years old, were sold for $1,000 in scrap metal. What happened? Well, they had faith in their commander. They, they trusted him. They believed that he would get them to where they were going, but I guess they had placed their faith in the wrong person, the wrong object. That could happen in life, right? People place their faith in the wrong places, and when fog rolls in, they listen to the wrong sources, they neglect the truth of their instruments and that which they know to be trustworthy, and they listen to others, and they find themselves in shipwreck. Let me ask you this morning, church, where is your faith this morning? Where does your faith lie? Well, what is it that you are trusting in this morning, that you, you are living your life and your life to some regard is anchored to that? What is it that if it was extracted from your life this morning, maybe it's your family or your finances, your career, your home, I don't know what it is. If that was extracted, that your, your faith would be a little bit wobblier than you'd like to admit. 
What is your faith in today? Would that anchor hold if the mooring ropes of your life began to be cut? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to define faith today. And to do that, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to jump into the middle of the book. I want to put some handles on faith. And then we're going to come back to chapter 1 and start to march our way through the book. So that's where we are headed this morning. The book of Hebrews, written about 30 years after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Let me rephrase that. We know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who penned it down. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? God. It's superintended. The Word of God is superintended through human authors. We see human authors' perspective to some regard and their personality to some regard, but ultimately it is from God. If God wanted us to know who the human scribe was, I suppose he would have told us. In the book, you will see many references to Judaism because the book is written to Jewish Christians specifically. It's Jewish Christians whose faith under pressure and persecution 30 years after Christ was crucified and rose, they're under pressure and their faith is a bit wobbly. And they're wandering from the place of their worship of Jesus Christ and they're co-opting some things in and they are in danger of changing the object of their worship, repositioning their faith. You know, I was a kid in Sunday school and... uh, Praise God those Sunday school teachers didn't kill me. But when I was in Sunday school and I was about eight or nine years old, the Sunday school teacher that I had at the time encouraged us to memorize the 23rd Psalm. Anybody here memorize the 23rd Psalm? You know, it stuck with me my whole life. I go back to verse 1 of Psalm 23 when my faith gets a bit wobbly and I think, am I starting to worship and co-op something that I'm finding security in other than King Jesus. And I go back to Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my provision. He is present in me. He is my protector. He is my king. But these Jewish Christians that were written to in the book of Hebrews, they they were wobbling a little bit. And so in chapter 11 here, we get this definition of faith right in the middle of the book. And so we're going to settle that first this morning a little bit as best we can. And we're going to then, as I say, go back and work our way forward. So we're going to read the word of the Lord together. Stand if you are able. Just three verses this morning that we're going to focus on. I encourage you to read with me if Uh, You would, and we've got it up on the screen here. Hear the word of the Lord as we read together Psalm 11, beginning at verse 1. Here we go. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. Thank you. This is God's word. So this morning, what I want us to do is a few little things we're going to cobble together here. First of all, I want to talk about what faith is not. 
Because sometimes they interact with people who are not people of Christian faith. They don't, they don't believe what many of us would believe. And so I want to talk about what faith is not. And then I want to talk about what faith obviously is and, and what our response to that looks like. And then how can we strengthen our faith. So that's where we're going to go. I hope you'll be able to see a little bit clearer faith this morning. Uh, this morning when I got up, uh, I live in Cambridge, so I was up early and jumped in the car to come and be with you, and I was looking for my glasses. Anybody here ever look for their glasses? God bless you. I mean, and the funny thing is, I got a whole bunch of pairs of glasses, you know, like some people buy shoes, and so I got all these glasses, and the reason why I have glasses is I go through glasses. I lose them. I stand on them. I sit on them. Uh, my grandkids break them, so you know, I buy cheap glasses that are like 40 or 50 bucks a pair. I buy them online. They come from Hong Kong. It's amazing. They come in just a few days from Hong Kong. The glass, these are wrong from, now, they're from Hong Kong, so when you read stuff, it's in Cantonese. That's the only problem, okay? <laughs> but you know what? When you get a new pair of glasses and sometimes a new prescription, you say, man, I can see a lot clearer. Have you ever had that? You know, you say, wow, things seem clear. I'm hoping by way of the Spirit of God that we'll see faith just a little bit clearer this morning. So let me talk about what faith is not. What faith is not. I hope you ever notes here, you follow along. Faith is not fatalism. Faith is not fatalism. Fatalism says at its core, I'm powerless to do anything other than that which I do. I'm sort of this, you know, uh, you know, pawn, I just sort of live out life. In other words, there's a destiny which I have no control over and no involvement, so I'm just passive, I just sort of believe and that, you know, everything's going to go the way it goes and that's the way it is. In our society in the last few years, this has been uh, made sort of ubiquitous in a statement. You finish the statement. It is what it is. It is what it is. And usually we don't say, oh, it is what it is. It's, it is what it is. Right, it's sort of a state of resignation, often maybe even despair. But that's not what faith is. Is God sovereign or in control ultimately? Yes, he is. Does that mean that we have no role, no responsibility? No, absolutely not. Resignation and retreat are not faith. You know, sometimes I talk to non-Christians and they'll say, well, I don't have faith. You know, faith, faith you, know, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I say, oh, so if your house is going to burn down, it's going to burn down? They say, yeah. I said, do you own a smoke detector? I guess I do. See, we have personal responsibility to respond. And the beautiful thing about Christian faith, biblical faith, is this, that, that it is not fatalism. We have our own uh, responsibility in the Christian life. We come to Christ, and Christ says, not only are you part of my family, you get to get on the team. Uh, Pastor Neil mentioned out here this morning, we have a ministry fair where you can go out and sign up. I, I went around this morning, mostly to get the free candy, but I went around this morning, and all of these people, these, these ministries that they're passionate about, they're committed to, and you can be on the team. You don't even have to sit on the bench. You get to play in the game. You get to be involved in kingdom opportunity. It's not fatalism. Secondly, Faith is not a feeling. So, oh, it's just a feeling. Faith is the decision that deepens and strengthens. It's, it's not simply just this ebb and flow, this feeling. Uh, is there anybody here this morning that you didn't feel very Christian this week? Some of you are like this. Right? 
you know, you're like, ah, oh, you know, somebody does something, you know, you're in the drive-thru and somebody cuts you off and you go, ah. And you say, oh, no, that one didn't feel very Christian-y, right? And, and, and sometimes we have that. We act in ways, we speak in ways that are not very spiritual. Do, do you lose your faith? No. But you get a bit overwhelmed in the moment by your feelings. And feelings are helpful, but they must not control us. Feelings are to be used in the way in which God gave them to us. And often, we know this, feelings often stand in opposition to facts, don't they? Uh, I shared in the first service, on Friday night, I have a daughter that lives in Sydney, Australia. She went there to school and married an Australian guy. That guy. Uh, Well, we love him. They were, uh, so my daughter Riley and her son, and her son, her husband Chris, and their two children, Hank and Winnie, two of our grandkids, have been with us for the last two and a half weeks in Cambridge, and on Friday night, they flew back to Sydney, Australia. So it's a big boo-hoo fest when they leave, you know, grandparents, you know what I'm talking about, because I only get to see them usually once a year, my wife usually goes there once a year, but anyways, my wife, she says goodbye at our house, you know, that whole deal hugging the grandkids, I drive to the airport, I'm trying to hold it together, and you know, you get there, and you get out, you know, and you're saying goodbye, my daughter starts crying, then I get all crying, and and then my little grandson, Hank, who's this big, says, I love you, Popsy! Oh, you're kidding me. (laughs) And I'm a wreck! I got tears running down my face, I get back in my car, you know, and I am just a wreck, I'm crying, I'm crying like a liar in front of Judge Judy. I mean, I'm a wreck, just a wreck, driving down the 427, you know, <laughs> I look over at a guy next to me, he looks over at me, I'm like, what in the world, the traffic's bad, but you're weeping, what's wrong with you? You know, if, if I lived out that feeling, I would have went home and drank the Drano. But, that, but that's just feeling, you see, that's not faith, I have faith that In God's goodness, my daughter and son-in-law love the Lord Jesus. They're raising their kids in a Christian home. My son-in-law has a business that he really feels is more of a mission than a business. They're deeply involved in their church. And and my faith is that even if this whole world comes to an end, that we will be together. So I don't let those immediate earthly feelings rule over me. Faith is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. What else is faith not? And let me just say this. You know, faith is a conviction. A conviction holds when circumstances change. If your circumstances change and your faith goes away, it probably was not biblical faith. I've seen that as a pastor over 30 years in ministry. I've seen where something gets kicked out from under somebody and they just don't feel it anymore. That's not biblical faith. Is there times in the Christian life where it's immensely difficult? You better believe it. You better believe it. Psalm 46.1. If you're under pressure this morning and your faith is wobbly and your feelings at times are getting, you the, getting the best of you, Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and our strength. A very, do you know what the next word is? Present. Now, in this moment, today, 
this week, when you go to the doctor's office and get the report, when the boss at work says you're not needed, when school is tough and you don't feel included, he is your present help in times of trouble. Faith galvanizes by way of conviction. Number three, faith is not foolishness nor fantasy. You know, sometimes people say, I don't have faith. You know, biblical, you know, you're a Christian. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of that? Ah, I think it's foolish. It's fantasy. It's fuzzy, you know, mystical thinking. I, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I say, you're not, you don't, you're not a person of faith? Nope. I say, do you own a car? Yep. You ever take it on the 401? Yep. You expect the steering wheel to stay connected to the car? Yep. Well, I guess you do exercise faith. We exercise faith. You can't live with some kind of faith. Not necessarily biblical faith, but you cannot live your life without faith. You sat down on that chair this morning, and you had faith that nobody unbolted it from the floor, right? Now, the question is biblical faith. Some people say, yeah, yeah, I have faith, but, you know, faith in Jesus, nah, I don't know. Oh, what's the problem? Well, you know, he's a mythical figure. Oh, really? You don't think Jesus existed? Even the most strident atheists believe Jesus lived. Yeah, but I, I don't know the rest of it, you know. I, you know I, I heard a guy one time, he gave a speech on why, you know, Jesus was simply a good guy. And my feeling is, if you're here this morning or you're watching online, if Jesus is God, that reality has eternal implications. If he's not God, and I'm convinced to the very depths of my soul that he is, if Jesus is not God, then you're off the hook. But if he is God, there's an eternal implication for every person that's ever been born and ever will be born. And you should figure that out for yourself. Not your brother-in-law or some guy you work with or some kid at school or the neighbor or whatever. You should come to a place where you galvanize that decision for yourself. Peter Hitchens is the brother to the late uh, Christopher Hitchens, the most significant, probably, atheist of our generation. He's died now. Absolutely, vociferously against the Christian faith, Christopher Hitchens. Peter Hitchens moved from being an atheist like his brother back to his Christian faith. You say back? Yes. Peter Hitchens believes deeply that Christopher Hitchens' life was shaped by way of his feelings because their mother, Peter and Christopher's mother, left their father to have an affair and be with a defrocked clergyman. And that wrecked Christopher Hitchens. That poisoned the possibility of faith, humanly speaking, in his life. And faith became foolishness and fantasy. And if you've ever heard Christopher Hitchens speak, you would know that. In fact, on the day that Christopher Hitchens' mother died, she tried to call him several times, and he was still so angry he rejected the call, and he, he was uh, very, very saddened the rest of his life that he did that. He had deep regret. Peter, however, came to a different conclusion. He didn't let the feelings affect him to the extent that his brother Christopher did, and he came to the conclusion that biblical faith, Christian faith, is the only response that makes sense of our reality. 
Faith is not fatalism, it's not feeling, and it's not foolishness nor fantasy. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. What is faith then? Let's define it. Let's put some handles on it. What is it? Faith is the deed to the Christian life. It's the deed to your Christian life. In fact, if you look at the verse again, now faith is the assurance. That word there is hypostasis. It's a Greek word. It liter- it's a legal word. It means deed or ownership. If you buy a house, you have a deed to your house. That signifies you're the owner. Faith is the way by which you come into ownership of the Christian faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for. And as a Christian, if you have faith, I sure hope there's things that you hope for. But this is the tactile part of the Christian life. In fact, if you look down a little bit to verse 6, if you will, there in Hebrews 11, it says this, and without faith it's impossible to please him, God, for whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists. You cannot please God without faith in who he is and what he is and what he's all about. Faith is the deed to the Christian life. Number two, this is the big idea this morning, our big idea. If you walk away with something, walk away with this morning, friends. Faith is this. Faith is simply taking God at his word. You know, some people say, what actually is faith? The best definition I can give you is faith is taking God at his word. It's not some esoteric sort of existential, you know, foggy out there, you know. It's taking God at his word. I take him at his word. Faith is the decision to do that very thing. It's rightly responding then to that. I'll come to that in a second. But, you know, you know I've, had, I've had tough times in my life. I've had some really tough times. I've not been inoculated to pain and suffering in my life. I've had some tough times. And, you know, during those tough times, I've said, there's been times I've put my head in my hands, and probably many of you have. And if you haven't had those tough times, they're coming. I just wanted to give you that good news this morning. Uh, life has tough times, doesn't it? It's a tough world we live in. There's been times that I've put my head in my hands, and I said, what in the world am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? What am I going to say? What? Oh, and you just... But, you know, I'm, I'm a man of faith. Sometimes my faith hasn't been perfect. But the Apostle Paul, speaking on behalf of God, describing down what the Spirit inspired him to write, writes this, And my God will supply all of your needs. And I take God at his word and I say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I can't figure this out. I would never ask for this. I take you at your word. You're going to supply all of my needs. I'm going to lean into you. And Lord, I'm sorry for my wobbly faith legs, but I'm taking you at your word this morning, this day. But there's a second part of that. Taking God at his word also requires a response. Right? It requires a response. We rightly respond to his revelation. Look at it. Look at verse 2 there of chapter 11. For by it, that's the faith, the people of old received their commendation because they responded to that faith. If you look down at verse 4 there, look down to verse 4 in chapter 11, you'll read all of these by faith, by faith, by faith. They're full of verbs here. 
By faith, Abel offered to God. By faith, Enoch was taken up. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Uh, By faith, Sarah conceived. Over and over again. By faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, Moses left Egypt, right? By faith, the Israelites put their big toe in the Red Sea. Expecting God was going to part it. So you rightly respond to the revelation. You rightly respond to truth. Uh, you, you know those, uh, anybody seen those commercials, those Peloton exercise bikes? You ever seen those commercials? They claim they have the best exercise bike ever made. They make that claim. They, they make it as a solid, you know, hard truth claim. And them things are expensive. You know, they're about a few thousand bucks. But you know something? You buy that Peloton bike, they ship it to your house. Comes in a big old box, they ship it to your house. Do you know you will not lose any weight unless you ride that thing? (laughs) That's why I sent mine back. (laughs) You see, they make this truth claim, but for that really to make any difference in your life, you gotta make a response. You have to react, you have to embrace that reality, and that means Ride the bike and look at some people that, you know, on, a, on, a, uh, you know, on your computer or on your TV, somebody that's leading you that doesn't look human, you know, that looks like they eat vegetables in their sleep, right? You've got to do that. You've got to respond. It's the same with faith. You have to respond. Sometimes rightly responding to God's revelation, listen carefully, church, means you stop doing something as well. When I was pastoring, I pastored at Forward Church in Cambridge for many years, and uh, God was very kind to me while we were there. One Sunday, I gave a message on missions, and I took people through a passage on God's heart for the world and for, for hurting and broken people who are far from God in places where the gospel is either not well known or not known. And at the end of that service, a young dad came down the aisle, tears running down his face, because in that message, I had said, you know, if, if your family is thinking about going to Disney World, why not change that and go and see God's world? Go and see the mission field. Go and see if God would use you. And they were getting ready, that family, to go on a family vacation. He said, you know what? God has just laser beamed in on my heart, and I'm going to have to do that. And he rightly responded to God's word that smor- this morning. Do you know that Greg and Katie and their three kids, I think now it's four kids, are running in Nicaragua a huge ministry that's ministering to hundreds of families and children who are very vulnerable every week. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, and, and you know what? If you want to take your family and go and see Greg and Katie and what they're doing, they'd have you come. It's an amazing place what God is doing through them because they rightly responded to the revelation of taking God at his word. Finally, this faith is the catalyst for encouragement and understanding. You see, faith, look at verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. By faith, sometimes things ultimately will come into focus. We'll receive encouragement from that which seems to be breaking. We'll receive understanding from that which is not palatable or understandable. And you see, I love this part. The assurance of things hoped for. Is there some things that you're hoping for 
that you can't yet see? Nobody? Is there something you're hoping for that you cannot yet see as a Christian? I hope so. I hope so. You know one of the things that I'm hoping for? I'm hoping, and there's a day coming, where God is looking down at this world. And this world is full of pain and suffering and evil. You see what happened in Morocco, eh? Thousands of people are probably dead. You read about what happens. This guy that was shipping out these packages that allowed people to take their lives, you know? They've now said he probably was involved in 120 deaths. And you go, what in the world? You know what I'm hoping for? Here's what I'm hoping for. One day God is going to look down at all of this mess and he's going to shout out one word, enough! And he's going to point to the sun and he's going to say, Jesus, time to go back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh man, I can hardly wait. And it's going to be like one of those real lousy restaurants. You know, you drive by a restaurant, you say, I only ate in there once, I'll never eat there again. And then finally, one day you drive by and there's a sign. And what does the sign say? Under new management. The world is going to come under new management. Amen? Oh, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. That's one of the things that we hope for, but we can't fully see it. But our faith is the catalyst for that kind of encouragement and understanding. I'm also hopeful that in the reality in 1 John chapter 3, it tells us that we are going to be glorified. We're going to be ridden finally of these sin-infested bodies. I'm hopeful for that. Remember what I said to you. It is what it is, right? Guess what? Next time you say that because something, something's really lousy, I want you to say this. It is what it is. But it isn't what it was meant to be. And it isn't what one day it will be. Amen? It's going to be different. I'm hopeful for the future in which we will reign. Because Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, that if we endure all things, then we will reign. Your kingship. The hope of a new earth, I'm hoping for that. Faith brings future hopes into present circumstances when you just don't get it. Faith makes the past tangible and useful. You know, when I was 17 years old, I sat in a hospital room. My mother, my mom, was in the bed, gravely ill. And in the morning, after I'd sat with her all night, my father, my dad, and my sister arrived. There's only, we were a family of four. And they took over, and I got in the car and went home, got into bed because I'd been up most of the night. And within an hour or so, I heard a car in our driveway, and the car doors closed, and I could hear my sister crying as I came into the house. And my dad and my sister came in and sat on the bed and said, Mom's gone. I was 17. I was the only Christian in my home. Wobbly legs of faith. Didn't have a strong faith. 
and I entered into what I've just shared with you. I thought that faith was fatalism. Well, thanks, God. I guess whatever's going to be is whatever going to be, so whatever. I, I was overwhelmed in my feelings, and they were pouring over and sinking my faith. God, it, you, you don't seem like a very nice guy, God. I thought, is this faith just fantasy and foolishness? What is it? But the reality is God is so good and so kind that when my faith just was on its weakest point, Jesus held on to me. He held on to me. And that little kernel of faith held. People often talk to me about, boy, I wish I had more faith. The size of my faith was bigger. Here's the issue, friends. It's not how big your faith is. It's having a firm grasp of the object of your faith. The object of your faith. Let me close with this. How do I strengthen my faith this morning? Look down to Hebrews 12, verse 2, if you would, just next chapter. How do you strengthen your faith this morning? This has been profoundly helpful for me in my Christian life. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you want to understand anything in life, you go to the founder, the originator, the creator. Remember that ship story I told you at the beginning? When the order came for everybody to turn left, all of those captains of those other ships, they, they turned left because they believed Donald Watson, the commander of the fleet, told them to turn left, but he hadn't told them to. It was a guy two ranks below him that Donald Watson said, oh, you be in charge for now. And that guy said, turn left, and they did, and they turned onto the rocks. It was a guy named Donald Hunter, not Donald Watson. See, listen carefully, church. If you are listening to the wrong leader in your life, when things get foggy, you're in danger of shipwreck. If you want to strengthen your faith this day, you get with the supreme commander, King Jesus. And you listen to Jesus, and he will never betray you, nor depart from you, nor let you down. I can tell you that proof positive. Because in the worst of days, my faith has held because the object of my faith has been Jesus. Faith comes by way of intimacy with Christ. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. I've given you some materials there, some resources that will help you get into the word of God more. Old southern preacher, I lived in the southern U.S. for 11 years. Old Southern preacher, he used to say this. I'm going to tell you all something. If your Bible's falling apart, then probably you ain't. <laughs> Some truth in that, isn't there? May over the next few weeks our faith in King Jesus grow rock solid as we anchor ourselves to he who can hold us forever. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father, we trust you in the waves and storms of life. 
We trust the beautiful name of Jesus, which we were now lift in song together. Father God, thank you that our anchor holds on the solid ground of faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We love you. We want you to hear that from our lips this morning. It's in our King's name we pray, and for his glory we ask. Amen and amen.